Well, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, I said that we were going to take a break from our Exodus sermon series. And we're going to take up this new book, introduction to this new book that we're going to be studying uh, during our Wednesday prayer fellowship. Uh, and it's perfect because the last hymn that we sung talks about what this book talks about. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's exactly the sermon. I don't even have to preach now. Just think about that sermon, meditate, or sorry, think about that song, meditate on it, and that's it. Um, but yeah, um, this book uh, is entitled The Things of This Earth uh, with a subtitle that says, Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts. Who here enjoys a good uh, lechon or a good, <laughs> good food? Who here enjoys good food? Yes. If you don't raise your hand, you're lying. Who here enjoys vacations? Ah! What about, <laughs> about the homes that you live in? <laughs> Man, I, I really want to move somewhere else. But, you know. We enjoy good things, right? All of us do. Uh, it shouldn't be, it's not bad in itself. It's not inherently bad to enjoy these good things because God gave them to us. Um, and God is not the God that will uh, show you good things and tell you that these things are enjoyable and say, you can't have them. <laughs> I don't think that God is like that. And I think that this book kind of helps us to, to see that, but at the same time, see the problem why sometimes God doesn't give us some of these things. You were talking about it during uh, Sunday school. Why does God not allow Christians to win the lotto? We were talking about it, right? It's evil. Lotto's evil. Is it really evil, Lotto? Inher it, it, by itself, in itself, it's, it's not. Right? Now, some people consider it gambling, which it probably is because you're betting on numbers and stuff like that. But inherently, no, it's not evil. So what's evil about it? How come God, like, I don't, that's why people, Christians don't buy, oh, well, I don't want to say all Christians don't buy Lotto. Some of you do. Uh, <laughs> Just being honest, right? Um, but, you know, sometimes we have that idea when it comes to God's gifts. That it's just there so that we can know that it's there. And, and God's really up there saying, no, this, you know, this is good, but, you know, you shouldn't experience it because it could be bad for you. Um, but is it, is it really like that? And what makes it like that? And I think that this book will help us to see that. will help us to treasure God. By enjoying his gifts. So the author was the one in the video. That was Joe Rigney. Um, so, um, you know, that was a short intro. It's, it's, a, it's a big, uh, long topic. But I'm going to give you guys just a wide look at it this morning. So that hopefully you will be encouraged to come study with us uh, during Wednesdays. Uh, and if you can't, at least buy the book. Read it for yourself. Okay? So before uh, we get into it. Uh, let me tell you why. Uh, why did I choose this book? Why did I read this book to begin with? 
those of you who know me, I've been a big supporter of the teachings of uh, Pastor John Piper uh, when I was grow when I was growing in my faith back in my mid twenties to late twenties. Um, I was introduced to the writings of Piper, and I started reading on most of his books. Um, and it was good. It, was, it helped me um, to grow uh, in my understanding of God and my understanding of grace. And um, so my theology, a lot of it, is, you know, uh, through John Piper's ministry uh, and his, uh, through his books. Uh, now, the most popular aspect of Piper's teachings uh, is that of Christian hedonism. Have you guys heard of it? Anybody heard Christian hedonism? Okay. So... For those of you who don't know what it is, Christian hedonism is defined as this, and I quote, uh, the conviction that God's ultimate goal in the world, which is his glory, and our deepest desire, which is to be happy, are one and the same. God's glory, okay, his, his goal, God's goal, his glory to be displayed in the world, and our deepest desires as human beings to be happy are one and the same. They shouldn't be separate because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So this is the main gist of all of Piper's books, his writings, his theology. Now this understanding of the Christian life says that a Christian's life goal should be the pursuit of maximum joy in God. That's what this is talking about. Christian's life goal should be the pursuit of maximum joy in God both in quantity and in quality. Okay? Uh, and who, who here has that life goal? I want to have maximum joy in God. Ah, yes, me. That's, that's, how, that's how it should be for Christians, right? Psalm 1611. What does Psalm 1611 say? It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That should be our maximum goal to be in that, you know, fullness of joy in God. That's where the most fullness of joy will come from, right? Right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Over and over again in the Bible, this is being preached over and over again. But if you know your Bible, you read your Bible, the Bible also talks about the dangers of delighting or finding joy in this world. Right? If you think about those two contrasts, how does God show us, okay, how does God, uh, you know, uh, enable us to be happy in this world? Through his blessings, through his gifts, right? Amen? Do you guys agree with that? Okay. Th that's the objective uh, thing that God gave us to enjoy. That's why if you go back to the, um, to the Garden of Eden, God said, you can eat any of these fruits of these trees. Uh, and then God uh, created sex. Because God wants us to enjoy life here on earth. And so the Bible warns us, or oh, not warns us, but tells us, yes, there is the, the ultimate joy is to be found in God, um, but also warns us that uh, the way that God uh, enables us to kind of experience that joy through physical things 
it's also dangerous. So there's, there's that tension in the scriptures about the dangers of delighting or finding joy in the things of this world, like status or possessions, or even relationships, because Jesus talks about that, right? Jesus takes that idea when it comes to our relationships. Luke uh, 14, 25 to 33, talks about the cost of following Jesus. What, what's, the, what's the cost? Hate your mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even your own lives. Then in verse 33, uh, Jesus says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So there's this tension when it comes to scriptures as far as how do we enjoy God? Is it just only through Bible reading and worship and prayer? Is it only just through church? You know, uh, or could it be in other things as well? Because when you, again, read that, he's, Jesus says, if you don't renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. That's the tension between the idea of this Christian hedonism, the teachings of Scripture to, to renounce everything to be the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our reality and understanding that good things, that all good things come from God. Uh, do we agree with that? All good things. Chicharron, even though, yeah, it's going to kill you. It, it comes from God. Clothing, family, church, all these things. They all come from God. So there's this tension with that. So these are the good things that come from God, and we're only supposed to find our joy in God. How do we treat these things? How are we supposed to treat these things? Uh, if you read Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.17. Can you guys read that? 1 Timothy 6.17. You guys read it? You feel the tension there? Tell the rich... Don't put your hopes on riches. Don't be proud of your riches. Instead, hope in God. And then what does God do? God provides us with everything to enjoy. <laughs> so if you, if you read that, you're trying to picture it. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, who here likes steak? Nobody likes steak. Uh, I like steak. I like beef. Uh, it doesn't have to be steak. I like beef. It's like me, I love beef, and God's saying, oh, yeah, there's this Kobe beef, and there's this Wagyu beef, and there's this, when you barbecue it, oh, it smells like butter in your mouth, but you can't have it. Bad for you. Well, it's like so difficult to understand for me, because why would you give me these things to enjoy? And it's not just give, it's richly gives. Why would you do that? And then tell me, don't enjoy it. <laughs> Only enjoy me. Why would God do that? That's the tension that I kind of wrestled with because it doesn't make sense to me. Why God would provide us with everything to enjoy and then tell us not to enjoy these things but only to enjoy him. I just had a hard time applying that biblical truth about 
how God is the greatest treasure and the greatest source of pleasure and that my source of joy should be in him alone. And at the same time, God is also this lavish giver who gives us everything that we not just need to enjoy. Sometimes God gives us even the, what we want because he knows we're going to enjoy those things. I mean, I, I do that to my kids. I give my kids things that they should, that I think that they're going to enjoy. But sometimes the, the problem with kids is when you give them too much, <laughs> it starts to be harmful to them. Um, I gave my kids computers. So what did they do? Stay up all night playing games, missing school, not getting enough sleep, all this stuff. So that's the problem. And I think that's why God sometimes kind of withholds this stuff from us. Yeah, he wants us to enjoy these things. But sometimes, see, because of us, <laughs> we're the issue. Because our hearts are bent towards extremes, God kind of says, you know what, just keep your distance. Or let me withhold this from you because you're just going to hurt yourself. And I think what uh, we need to uh, understand, and what I think this book is going to teach us, uh, is how do we apply that? How do we apply that knowledge about God, that, that he's a lavish giver, he wants us to enjoy these things, but ultimately, the best thing to us and for us to enjoy is Him. And when we do that, um, He will give us the desires of our heart. What is, what, what is that? Uh, Psalm 37, 4, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So that's the tension that I was wrestling with uh, when I was... Uh, learning this uh, theology of John Piper. And uh, these are the things that I was asking myself, you know, because there's, sometimes there's this misplaced guilt uh, every time I find myself enjoying the things of this world. You know, should I be enjoying uh, electronics too much? Because I love these little toys. All of you have it. Uh, like, wh who likes watches? I like watches. This is the only piece of jewelry that I wear other than this, right? Because, but I have to wear this. <laughs> I don't have to wear a watch, but I like wearing watches. Uh, and I'm sure that we, we all have our different likes and, you know, dislikes. But um, is it okay to enjoy these things? Am I not supposed to be renouncing these things if I'm to become a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ? So those are the questions I was wrestling with when I came across Piper's Christian hedonism teachings. And I've always thought that can't be what Piper is teaching because it doesn't make sense in light of the things of this earth that I honestly enjoy. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do that to his children? Right? So um, Paul addresses this issue uh, in his letter to Timothy. Check out 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 4 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Can we flash that? I don't know who's up there, but can we flash 1 Timothy 4 4? For everything created by God is good, 
Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So when you look at that, okay, so I'm supposed to bring glory to God by enjoying his gifts. So does that mean that as long as I pray for it, as long as I give thanks, that's me giving glory to God, therefore I can enjoy. Is that what it means? Ah, someone's going to say, hey, man. Have you ever seen that meme? Uh, that it's a Christian meme where uh, the food on the table is, are donuts, burgers, fries, uh, you know, for Filipinos, uh, lechon, all those are, the, those are the things that I like, no vegetables, uh, <laughs> you know, all these bad things. And then the Christian will pray, Lord, thank you for this food. May you use it for the nourishment of my body. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> you're eating these things that's going to kill you. Doesn't make, <laughs> doesn't make sense, right? So if, you, if, if our understanding of 1 Timothy 4, 4, and 5 is just that, then let me, <laughs> let me warn you that no, not because you, you thank God for it. That means it's good, and that means you're bringing glory to God, right? Uh, because there is this thing called gluttony. And it's a sin to be gluttonous. But why is it a sin to be, uh, why, is, why is gluttony a sin? Because you eat too much? Well, in context of the Apostle Paul, when he first mentioned that, it is because it separates people. It, it, it destroys fellowship. That's why. Um, that's why when you, when you think about gluttony, gluttony is not just eating too much. But if you're not eating at all, that could be gluttony. How? how? Uh, have you ever heard of, you know, paleo diet, uh, vegetarian diet, um, what else? You know, pescatarian diet, carnivore diet, all these diets, right? People on those diets, what do they say? I'm a carnivore. I don't eat vegetables. Vegetables are bad. Destroys fellowship. I'm a, what's a pescatarian? What's, what's pescatarian again? They only eat fish or something like that? They don't eat anything with legs or something like that? Oh, I'm pescatarian. No, I don't eat that. Or I don't eat anything that's not organic. I don't eat that. That too can be considered gluttony. Because you're trying to separate yourself from everybody else. You're trying to say that, oh, I'm better than you because I'm pescatarian or I'm vegetarian. Or, right? So there is that thing that Paul is saying here that, 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 that gluttony, it's not just about enjoying too much, but also about, it's all about trying to separate yourself from everybody else, trying to destroy fellowship, right? So when we think about, um, you know, First uh, Timothy 4 and 4 and 5, not because... You thank God for everything. Meanwhile, that's your attitude when it comes to, let's say, food. That you're, you're okay. You're giving glory to God. You're not at that point. Because there's still pride in there. Right? You guys get what I'm saying? So not because you thank God for it doesn't mean God is glorified in these things. Right? 
So um, Paul warns us, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Uh, Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So when you think about it, giving glory to God by just praying and thinking or thanking him for the food that you're eating. Meanwhile, you're either you're a glutton or you're eating things that are bad for you. doesn't necessarily bring glory to, to God. Um, so let's not think about it that way, right? Because in the end, listen, God's ultimate purpose in all creation, including human beings, is to display his glory. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, those of you who know this verse, whether you eat or you drink, do all the glory of God. So even in our eating, if we're not eating healthy or if we're snobbish when it comes to food, it doesn't mean you pray that you bring glory to God. No. So what does it mean to bring glory to God when it comes to the things of this earth? Um, let's look at one more warning from Paul. Uh, first, uh, sorry, Philippians 3, 17 to 19. You guys read this one. Philippians 3, 17. This part is the most important. Read it. Their end. Right? So if we um, pray for all our food, <laughs> thank God for all our stuff, but our minds are set on these things, it's not really set on God. You just, it's just a thing that we do. Just say grace and pray for the food, but you don't really sincerely mean it. You just want to eat. Some people are like that, right? When they're so hungry, the prayer is short. Thank you for the food. God, thank you for the food. <laughs> so I want to just eat. Then Paul is saying, no, you're, you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. Because those people, they're, who's their God? Their bellies. Because, you know, they, they, the things of this earth is what occupies their thoughts. If that's us, then you gotta you gotta watch out. You gotta examine yourself again. Right? So it doesn't mean that God gives this to us for enjoy. And that's the bent of the that's the bent of sinful human beings, right? And just human beings in general. We enjoy things too much. Right? If that's us, then Paul's warning us. These are the enemies of the cross of So um, this morning, um, these, are the, these are some of the questions I'm wrestling with. Uh, when I was back in my early, mid-20s, uh, when I was studying this, these are some of the questions that I was wrestling with. So the, this morning, my goal is just give us uh, an overview of this book because I think this book kind of helps us to see um, and help us to apply the, these truths in the Bible. That we're not supposed to stay away from these things. When Jesus says you should forego all these things, he doesn't mean that you don't enjoy these things anymore. Um, there is a way to enjoy it, and there's a right way to enjoy it, just like what Paul says. 
Um, but these are the things that we, we need to think about. These are the things that we need to meditate on uh, in order for us to apply these truths that we see in the Scripture. Right? So this is the question that the book answers. How can we enjoy all that God richly provides? How can we enjoy all that God richly provides without setting our affections on the things of this earth? How do we enjoy what God richly provides in the things of this earth without setting our affections on the things of this earth? How do you enjoy your wife without your wife becoming your God? How do you enjoy food without food becoming your God? Those are the things that this book is going to talk about. And uh, fortunately, the author was kind enough to give us a clue as to how we can navigate these issues right in the title of the book. The full title of the book, again, is The Things of the Earth, Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts. Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts. Now, when you listen to that, sounds easy, right? Okay. I treasure God when I enjoy His gifts. But it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous title. Because it could lead to this focus on enjoyment of God's gifts alone without treasuring the God of the gifts, right? Because that's our bent as human beings, right? God says enjoy his gifts. Okay, let me enjoy. You enjoy too much. You forget about the giver. When you read this book and upon uh, studying this book, what the subtitle is actually saying is this. Treasuring God and enjoying his gifts should be complementary. should work together. Right? They ought to work together. But for a lot of believers, I guess, I think, again, these two things are separate. For some Christians, treasuring God should be a single-minded pursuit in Christ alone and that these things of the earth are a distraction to that life purpose. Other Christians are like that. I think we heard it during uh, Sunday school. Uh, the reason God doesn't want us to be rich is because these riches will lead to our distraction from God. And then Kuya Yujin, our Sunday school teacher says, but we're all rich. <laughs> so what, are we just, are we all distracted from God? Because we're all rich here in North America? I don't think so. So why, why are some people like that? Why are some people bent on saying that as, uh, to be a Christian, you have to have this single-minded pursuit that joy can be found in God alone, that all these things of the earth are a distraction? Extreme. For others, it's the other extreme. Treasuring God is dependent on how God blesses through material things. Some people are like that. Oh, God is not blessing me. What did I do wrong? I didn't read my Bible. Oh, no, that's why. That's why I'm sick. I didn't read my Bible. That's why I'm, I didn't attend church. That's why I lost my job. Oh, no. 
There are some people that like that. That the treasuring of God is linked with how God blesses through material things. So when things are good, praise God. Where things are bad, blame God. These are the two extreme thoughts about the supremacy of God and treasuring God. And these extreme ideas about treasuring God uh, also come in, a, like, are also known as either the poverty gospel or the prosperity gospel. People are, are always, I used to be poverty gospel because I was listening a lot to John Piper and John Piper's mentality when it comes to the things of this earth is we should have a wartime mentality. You know what that means to have a wartime mentality? In wartime, only the things that you need are only the, the, the things that you acquire. I don't need, you know, I don't need 50 pairs of shoes. I only need one. That's the only thing. I don't need a TV. I, don't, I only need this much food to survive. That's wartime mentality. I used to subscribe to that. So me and Pastor Luis, we're always, we're always debating. Because I'm like, oh, how come some of these pastors are? You know, dress so nice, driving nice cars. Shouldn't they be like, you know, wartime mentality? Why are some Christians so focused on their stuff? Shouldn't we be wartime mentality? And I think that's an extreme. The more I see it, the more you think about it. Um, these are the things that kind of people gravitate towards, the extremes. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, when it comes to supremacy of God, and when it comes to treasuring God. Um, and when we look at the book, the book is teaching us that you, you don't have to be an extreme because these two things, treasuring God and enjoying His gifts, are complementary. They work together. Right? So you shouldn't be going to extreme. There's a balance to these things. Now I said that um, the balance when it comes to treasuring God and enjoying uh, enjoying his gifts, are only to be applied in this world. I'm not talking about spiritual things. When it comes to spiritual things, it is always extreme. You agree with what I'm saying? When it comes to the spiritual aspect of our lives, it's always extreme, right? God says what? You're either with him or against. Jesus said you're either called or you should be either called or hot. Just don't be lukewarm because he's going to spit you out. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about balance when it comes to our Christian life. I'm not talking about being lukewarm as a Christian. When you're a Christian, you should be all in or nothing at all. Right? But when it comes to the things of this earth, that's where we need that we can't be at an extreme that God wants us to be poor because that's the only way we're going to be able to see God. Or God wants us to be rich because that's the only way we're going to see God. That's wrong. So there has to be a balance, right? And my struggle, and hopefully your struggle too, is how to find that balance when it comes to our affections toward God and our affections towards his gifts. And I'm not just talking about material gifts. I'm talking about everything. Relationships, health, right? and everything else that comes 
as the things of this earth. So now question is this. Why are we like that? Why, when it comes to the things of this earth, we struggle because we always tend to gravitate towards one extreme or the other? Why are we like that? Tim Keller uh, said that the issue lies, and well, one of our, uh, my, one of my uh, people who are attending uh, Sunday school earlier gave the answer. Why are we like that? Tim Keller says that the issue lies in the human heart. And what, Jerson, that's what you said. The issue lies with the heart of the human. That's why we're always one extreme or the other. We can't find a balance when it comes to the things of this earth. It's because of the human heart. So now why the heart? Why does it have to do with the heart? What, what is the heart, first of all, defined by, as defined by Scripture? So when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the actual physical organ. Okay, I'm not talking about your actual heart. Uh, there are two ways we can look at what the heart is. First, uh, it is the heart is the seat of our emotions. That's why when you love somebody, you love them with all your wallet. No, with all your, you love them with all your heart. Sometimes soul and mind, but it starts with the heart. Aristotle, a Greek philosopher, believed that the heart is, and I quote, the center of the human body, the seat of the soul and the emotions, and a primary sense organ of the body. So in the ancient world, the heart was also assumed to be the seat of mental processes, including thinking and memory. The Bible defines the heart as the control center of the body. This is what controls everything in the body, physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. Right? As Keller put it, these are the things that the heart does. In Proverbs 3, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So what does a heart do? It trusts in something. That's what a heart does. In Genesis 6, 5, it talks about how the heart of man is inclined to evil all the time. So not only does a heart trust in something, the heart also inclines or is given to or willing towards something. In the, case, in the case of Genesis, it's towards what? Evil all the time. What is evil in the Bible? Evil is a preference to anything else other than God. That's evil. Right? So the heart is inclined to that. It's willing towards that. Right? And just a sometime, all the time. Or in the New Testament, Jesus says, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So what else does hearts do? Hearts treasure things. That's why the Bible is talking about how the heart is the control center of the body. Mind, emotions. Right? And most of the time, when it comes to treasuring, the heart treasures the wrong things or treasure things wrongly. You get what I'm saying? 
most of the time, the heart treasures the wrong things or it treasures things wrongly. So Keller says, it is in the heart where human beings decide what to treasure. It is in the heart where human beings uh, determine what their supreme good is. It is in the heart where our hope can be found. It is in the heart where what we, we, we decide to look at throughout the day, what we decide to think about throughout the day is all done in the heart. Uh, William Temple, an archbishop in the Catholic Church, once said this, religion is what you do with your solitude. Religion is what you do with your solitude. What does that mean? It means that the thing that your heart most cherishes, the thing that your heart most adores, the thing that your heart most trusts in, the thing that your heart most hopes in, the thing that you really look for to your salvation or for your salvation is what your mind automatically goes to when you have nothing else to think about. When you have nothing else to think about, whatever it is that you think about at that point is what your heart desires the most. For men, that's easy. Uh, it's hard to not think about anything nowadays. We're always thinking about something, right? Like right now, some of you are probably thinking, when is this sermon going to end? What does that have to do with me? Why is this, uh, what am I going to eat afterwards? Okay. We're always thinking about something. But when you have nothing else to think about, but you have to think about, what do you think about? I'll give you a few moments to think. Think about it. If you're waiting for the bus, or those of you who are at work, and the job is just mundane, you're not thinking about anything, what is, the, what is it that you think about? I tried to do this. I went for a bike ride yesterday, those of you guys. Nice weather yesterday, go for a bike ride. When I'm biking, I don't think about anything. Just obviously to be safe. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you crash. But I find myself thinking about financial security. Who here has debts, mortgages? I think about that. When is this going to end? That's why it's funny that we were talking about it during Proverbs, study of Proverbs. How come some people are mortgage-free? How come some people don't have to work? As hard as I, I have to. I'm thinking about that while I'm biking. And then I caught myself. Ah, oh, that's what my heart most wants. <laughs> right? Sometimes I'm thinking about the church when I'm biking. When is this church going to be like, you know, the church in the, in the New Testament, in Acts? What's going to happen to us 10 years from now? That's what I'm thinking about. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes my kids. Sometimes because that's the, what the heart most wants. You ever have nothing to think about and you think about God? Oh, God has been so good. Oh, God has been so faithful. God has been. For a lot of times, if you're going to be honest, a lot of times we don't. Right? Some of us, you only think about God when you come here. That's true, right? 
Most of the time, you think about your job. If you're sick, COVID. Think about relationships. But we rarely just sit there and have nothing to think about. And we say, praise God. That's the reason why a lot of us don't have solitude time. It's because of our cell phones. We're always glued to a screen somewhere. No, but it's, it's true, right? But when you do have that time, what do you think about? Religion is what you do with your solitude. What do you put your hopes in the most? What do you look for when it comes to your salvation the most? Keller goes on to say that the heart is the seat of our greatest loves. And listen to this, what the heart most wants, the mind will find most reasonable. What the heart most wants, the mind will find most reasonable. That's why, guys, we chase after the girls that are out of our league. You know? You know what I'm talking about? Guys, when they see a girl, like a, like a girl that they like, and he knows, that guy knows, this is no way. It's out of my league. I'm down here, you know, that woman is up here. But the, what the heart most wants, some, it, it reprograms your mind, right? No, I can do it. I'll just call her every day, send her flowers, say this, say that. I'll get, I'm going to get her to like me. What the heart most wants, the mind finds most reasonable. The emotions find the most desirable. And the will finds doable. Say that again. What the heart most wants, the mind finds most reasonable. The emotion finds desirable. And the will finds doable. In other words, what we set our hearts upon will affect everything else. That's why it's not set your mind. You know, you can do it, just set your mind to it. That's why a lot of people, they fail their diets. <laughs> you know a lot of people, they try their diets and it always fails? Why? Because they just set their mind to it. They didn't set their hearts. When you set your heart to it, you will do it. I don't care how hard it is. You're not going to give up if your heart is set to it. Right? If you really want it, you can do it if your heart's set to it. But if it's just the mind, no, you'll give up. When it gets hard, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to eat rice again. <laughs> it's true, right? So it's the heart that does all these things. That's why it's a struggle for a human being to rightly enjoy the things of this earth as a means to glorify and treasure the God of the universe. That's why. Because we always seem to end up to the extreme of that which is to love the things of this earth so much and then use God to get it. Right? That's, that's where we drift towards. That's our tendency. God says love him by enjoying his gifts. Let me enjoy his gifts. But you start drifting because we are, our hearts are evil, inclined to evil. You start drifting towards that. But what about God? What about God? Let me pray about this to God and that's it. Right? So you make God your butler. You make God like a vending machine. 
right? I, want, I still want all of these things, but I'm going to use God to get it. Lord, um, I will read your word, but you have to give me the numbers to the, the winning numbers. <laughs> Some people do that. They scroll through their Bible. John 3.16. Okay, 3.16. Psalm 47. Oh, 47. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're kind of fooling ourselves into thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, my, my focus is God. I want God. But really what you're saying is, I want God to give me this. But you, what you really want is whatever that thing is. Instead of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, our hearts are set on something and we use God to get it. So what needs to happen to human beings, fallen human beings, and even those of us here struggling believers, what needs to happen to us is this. A human being, in order for, for them to rightly enjoy God's gifts, right, and treasure God, human beings has to uh, want to do what we ought to do. Say that again. In order for us to rightly treasure God's gifts and in the end give glory to God, we need to want to do what we have to do or what we ought to do. It's going like this. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, okay, diet. That's the best example I can give. All of us, we ought to stay healthy. Agree? You ought to. Because we always say, I want to live longer. I want to, you know, I don't want to die early. And then meanwhile, you eat all chicharron and bad, bad stuff. <laughs> so we ought to stay. <laughs> we ought to stay healthy, right? You should do that. God talks about that. You take care of your body. Take care of the temple of the spirit. Take care of it. We ought to do that. But we don't want to do that. And not just we don't, you know, we don't want to do it. It's not like we can't do it. Right? You can do it. You just don't want to do it. So for us to treasure God rightly, that has to happen. You have to want to do what you ought to do. And I think Psalm 37.4 or 37.4 summarizes it. What's 37.4 again? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So the delighting in God is what we ought to do and the desires of our heart is what we want to do. So it says that when you delight yourself in God, he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not backwards. Delight yourself in God when he gives you the desire. So what God wants for us ultimately, what God has designed us for, is for our hearts to want to delight in him. That's what we ought to do. We ought to want to delight, find joy in God. And God is continually working on those who believe for us to change those desires. Right? From finding the things of this earth of ultimate value to finding Him of ultimate 
value. That's what has to change. What you want has to change. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's, it's hard to explain this without experiencing it. Or, or, or let me try to explain this way. I used to love eating. I used to love, you know, food. And, and I, I feel like I can't enjoy food if I don't, like, eat a lot of it. <laughs> and then I started going on this diet. What I want now, I still want the food, but I want to be healthy more. You get what I'm saying? My want changed. I can still have it. I still eat sushi and ice cream and all. Beef, I still eat a lot of beef. But I've, I figured out I, I can do this and at the same time stay healthy. But I want to be healthy more so that when you bring me to parties and buffets, I'm not going to go, oh, buffet, all you can eat. No, right? And that's the problem with other people who go on diets because they don't really want to. Their wants or the why why they go on diet is too shallow that when the opportunity comes to break out of it, you break. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? If your why to why you do things is very shallow, you're not going to stick to it. You'll, you'll break. Right? So what, what is our why? What's, what's the biggest why that we can think of? Why we do things? As Christians, it should be the glory of God. Right? If, it's, if I'm just dieting so that I can be healthy, so that I can enjoy life, that's shallow, right? Because I'm going to think to myself, hey, how come I'm not enjoying the all-you-can-eat? Because I, when I go there, I have to restrict myself from eating. But you have to get over that. What's your why? What's your why ultimately? What's my why in going and starting to, trying to be more healthy at 46 years old? It's so that I can be used after this. If I'm, not, if I'm retired, I'm not doing this anymore, what I most want to do is what I wanted to do before I became pastor here, which is to go on missions. But if I can't, if I can't walk because of gout, if I'm overweight, if I'm not healthy, I can't do that. Do you get, do you get what I'm saying? So, the thing that changed is what I want. Instead of those bad things that I'm too much of, the wants changed. Right? So that what I ought to do is what I should be doing. Or sorry, what I want to do is what I, what I should be doing. And for that to happen, it's a heart change. Because what the heart sets itself on, the mind will find reasonable, the emotions will find desirable, and the will will find doable. So ultimately, what needs to happen to us is what the Bible calls the circumcision of the heart. That's what needs to happen to all of us. We can't will that to happen. Only God can make that happen in our lives. 
So in order for us to rightly enjoy God's gifts, our hearts need to be circumcised. Which is funny because our topic in Exodus is circumcision. Remember the last time I was here? Circumcision is the mark, the outer mark of those who are part of the covenant or the nation of Israel. But Paul talks about circumcision not in a physical sense, but in an internal sense. Right? So when we talk about that, how does that happen? What does it mean to have a circumcised heart? Come back next week. We'll go back to our topic in Exodus and we'll take all that up. Right? But for now, I want you to think about this. The things of this earth, God didn't give it to us because he wants us to just salivate over it and not enjoy it. He gave it to us to enjoy. The problem is our hearts are... <sighs> our hearts are, are the tendencies of our hearts to always go to extreme. Right? So what needs to happen to that? It needs to be circumcised. And so that we can stay here and enjoy life to the full. Because what you want has to change. What you desire has to change, and that happens in God. Amen? I hope to see you back here next week. I hope to see you on Wednesday. Not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. We're going to start the study of this book called The Things of This Earth, Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts. Hope to see you then. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. And be great. And be gracious unto you. And be gracious. The Lord be gracious, gracious and